Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to talk tonight on a verse in chapter 4 and verse number 2, but we'll read 1 to 4. He says in Proverbs chapter 4, Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also, and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. In our study of Proverbs, we're going to take a little bit of a side trip and talk about good doctrine. Verse number two. He said, I give you good doctrine. In, in, in verses one to four, we have an understanding. Often the Bible will define itself right in the context. Not always, but often it will. And it will tell you what it means if you look at the verses around it. You can see in verse number one, instruction, understanding. Verse two, law. You can see the father and the son in verse three. There's teaching and the mother. Teaching, instruction. And then verse four, he taught me. There's instruction. And he said, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. It's telling us about doctrine. He gives good doctrine to his son. This means there is such a thing as bad doctrine. You'll find in Scripture, the word doctrine is used as it connects with Balaam. The doctrine of Balaam, who taught Israel to commit fornication. So it's important to understand that, that there is such a thing as bad doctrine, and I'll come back to that in just a moment. But we're supposed to receive good doctrine and give good doctrine. Okay, now, if your eyes are glazing over or rolling in, uh, back, I'm about to go to sleep. Let me, doctrine means teaching. That's what it means. Now, people get confused on this, and we're going to go into it in, in some depth tonight because people think that there are some things that we teach, we need doctrine. And then I don't need doctrine, I just need the Lord. No, the doctrine is teaching, okay? I want you to look at Mark 1. Look at Mark chapter 1. We're going to run around tonight here as we study the Bible. Why? I got nothing to... My personality will help maybe to fill in some of the gaps, but you don't need to know about me. You need to know about what God said. Mark 1, 22. In Jesus' earthly ministry, it says in Mark 1, verse 22, they were astonished at his doctrine. What's the next word? Mark 1, 22, and they were astonished at his doctrine. What's the next word? Four. That means that he is going to explain what he means by doctrine. They were astonished at his doctrine. Well, why would they be astonished at his doctrine? What did that mean? For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. So the doctrine that he taught was his doctrine that he taught. Doctrine means teaching. Doctrine is teaching. That's what it means. 
It's a, a body or collection or a system of teaching. For instance, your mom had a doctrine. It was a system of teaching that she told you over and over and over and over again. What would it be? Well, I don't know. I, I can think back in my childhood and hear things. You know, my mom, always, she's always here and she gets to hear it. And you get to hear some of my childhood. You know, probably people get tired of me talking about it. But I was very close to my mother when I was born. And, uh, and that, that continued for quite some time, for 20 years or so. And I heard her doctrine. Now, my dad had doctrine, um, but it, it, was, it was different doctrine. And it was just a different way of saying it. But it was what he believed and what he was going to make sure that he taught me. Now, we talk about uh, presidential doctrines. Have you heard of that? Where a president has a doctrine, it's a body or a collection of, of teaching. And what a president's doctrine is all about is, this is what I believe about how we're going to operate, specifically in foreign policy. This is what I believe about how we should interact with other countries. And a lot of that is informed by the political atmosphere in which he is president. So he says, well, we have, to, I'll give you an example, the Monroe Doctrine, 1823. He said this, European powers should not colonize or interfere with nations in the Americas. That was the Monroe Doctrine. In other words, Europe, stay out of our business. That was his doctrine. And he implemented policies that would flesh out that doctrine. This is what I'm teaching you, and this is what we're going to do. Keep this in mind. Teaching, uh, doctrine is teaching, but the first two letters of doctrine give you a clue. Do. Doctrine is what you're supposed to do. And it, it's someone teaching you what you are supposed to do. The Truman Doctrine was this. We're going to support free nations against communism. He said this. The policy of the United States to support free peoples who are resisting attempted subjugation by armed minorities or by outside pressures. That is what we are going to do. We're going to support small countries that are being influenced by communism. The Bush Doctrine. You know what the Bush Doctrine was? He didn't have to develop this until 9-11. He said, we are not going to make any distinction between terrorists who committed those acts and the countries that harbor them. There's no distinction. If you harbor terrorists, we're coming after you. That was the Bush Doctrine. Then you had Trump Doctrine. Uh, the, tr the Trump Doctrine could be summed up as basically a policy to defuse situations uh, as quickly as possible. Um, anything that might require military actions, he wanted to uh, defuse it and engage in some kind of a offensive economic policy. We're going to put sanctions on them. We're going to stop doing business with that country. And uh, he, he did, I think he did a good job of that. In uh, the case, there were very few uh, military actions being taken at that time because it was very decisive. Now, some people would say, what, the, the Biden doctrine. I'm not sure what that is. Uh, I think he's still working on it himself. But uh, when, he fi when he finds out, believe me, I'll be the first to tell you when we find out what that is. But no, we, we need to pray for our president. But man alive, uh, from, uh, from a man's perspective, I say, I feel bad for that man. I think someone needs to take him home and put him to bed and let him sleep it off for a while. But uh, we do need to pray. And I'm saying that, but I don't want to be disrespectful to him. We need to pray for our, our president. People say, he's not my president. Last time I checked, you're still a citizen of the United States of America. He is your president. Now, he's not the best we've ever had, but he's the one we got. And it really kind of chill your bones. You've stopped to think about the fact that God gives people leaders that they deserve. 
So let's ask God, Lord, we'll really behave over the next year, please. We'll really, we'll be better, I promise. Uh, we need to pray for him. We need to pray for him. You realize that he's in a, a, a this is a side note to a side note. Um, do you realize that he's in a very precarious scenario? Whoever thought that the liberals in America would be forced to be less liberal? Did you hear the, 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 the heads, the presidents of Harvard and Penn University this week? And, uh, and getting called on the carpet by a congresswoman saying, is calling for the genocide of Jews, does that violate your policy as a university against bullying and harassment? And I'm telling you, they were crawdadding all over the place. Unbelievable. In fact, the University of Penn just got fired. Uh, or she resigned. I think she resigned today. And, you know, it, it, you talk about, well, our president is weak and he's this, that, and the other. I will say this. I will say this, whether it's political pressure or whatever else. So far, he's been standing firm for Israel. And you know what? That promise that God made to Abraham will apply even to Democrats. I will honor them that honor my people. Bless them that bless thee. And let's continue to pray that our country stands firm for them. And, uh, man, alive. Bunch of nonsense that goes on over there. Aren't you glad that, uh, that we have a good military? Aren't you glad that we have some strength? I really am. And let's pray that God, God diffuses that situation. It's a nasty, nasty business dealing with terrorists. So let's, let's take our Bibles now to Luke chapter 2. We looked at this verse this morning, or I mentioned it. Luke chapter 2. And look at verse number 46. Here's, here's Christ as a child. Doesn't tell us a lot about what he did, but we see him here, 246. Here he's in the temple. They, it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the what? Doctors. Both hearing them and asking them questions. Doctors. What's a doctor? A doctor is a person who teaches doctrine. Right? And so your doctor will treat you based on what he or she believes. What they believe is the best course of action. They have a system uh, of teaching in their mind, and they have to take long, long years to study, and seven years plus to become a medical doctor, and they have to learn these things. And they, and they don't know everything, but they have some things that make sense. They've, been, they've had a body of, of teaching that's been given to them, and they should expand on it. And that's what a, a teacher is. A doctor is someone who teaches that system. So a PhD teaches a system of beliefs, about philosophy. Uh, uh, an MD teaches a set of beliefs about the human body. A medical doctor. They are saying, this is what I believe could be the problem. And I'm grateful for that. Uh, for instance, we need to be praying for Chad. I mentioned Chad Moeller this morning. And uh, who would have thought that it would be something related to Parvo? Right? But they did the blood work and they said that that's what it is. Uh, my mother in law, she has recently had RSV. I mean, you don't hear that in adults, right? But when, when, when she came to the hospital, came to the ER, they said, oh, that's, 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 they, I'm glad they had an astute doctor there who had a system of beliefs about the human body. If, if she has this symptom and she's feeling that and this kind of a fever or whatever, this is pro- possibly, most probably, the, uh, the problem. What is that? That's a doctor who understands doctrine, teaching about the body. Now, here's just something to know. Look on your wall when you get home and look to see if you see a degree from any university. If not, you're not a doctor. 
Okay, so you might have access to WebMD, but that's WebMD. That's not actual MD. So you've got to be careful. And some of you, you diagnose yourself and make things worse, right? Uh, but but uh, that's what a doctor does. Now, I want you to go to Job chapter 11. Job chapter 11, right before the book of Psalms. Job chapter 11, a great verse. As he is right at the, uh, about the quarter mark of the book, Job is talking and he says, He says about Job, this is Zophar speaking of Job, he says, For thou hast said, my doctrine is pure, and I am clean in thine eyes. My doctrine is pure. Well, doctrine, he wasn't talking about the blood atonement, was he? See, we get in our heads that, that, that doctrine is a specific teaching of the scripture. No, doctrine equals teaching. It can be a good doctrine, it could be a sound doctrine, or it can be a wrong doctrine. Here, this is Job's doctrine. What's his doctrine? Sometimes righteous people suffer even though they're innocent. At this point, this is what his doctrine is. Now, as it goes on, you know what his doctrine is by what he says. What a person says is their doctrine. That's why it's very important that we're careful with what we say. You know the reason why I know my mom and dad's doctrine? Because of what they said, what they followed through on. That's why as parents, we've got to be careful what we say. That's why I am very careful not to, I, I want to be careful, and, and Lord forgive me, when I give you my personality as if it holds the same weight as the Bible. It does not. It helps to flavor it, seasoning, but it, it's not the same weight. But people will follow what we say. That's why we've got to be careful of our, of our words. And here Job is saying, this is my doctrine up to this point. It did adjust and change, but he went from the righteous shouldn't suffer to I am innocent to I don't know what God's doing. God doesn't tell me what's going on. I never hear anything to, okay, I'll shut my mouth. And finally at the end he said, I abhor myself. His doctrine changed because of what he thought and believed and what he said. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 32. Back to Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. 32. How do you get better at finding books of the Bible? You read the Bible more. That's how you get better at it. Deuteronomy 32. It takes a long time, but don't be intimidated if you're still learning. Deuteronomy 32. Verse 2, here is um, the song of Moses. He says, in verse 1, Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew. And he goes on to talk about what that's going to do. And then he says, this is my doctrine. What was his doctrine? Well, his doctrine basically summed up was God's people are rebellious and they deserve judgment, but God will never give up on his people and he will receive the glory from them eventually. That's Moses doctrine in a nutshell. Now, when you look at it, you say, well, what was he specifically saying? Well, the whole thing was his doctrine. Why? It's because he said, take this song and teach it to successive generations. Teach my doctrine to all the people of Israel. 
What I'm about to say, what I'm going to speak, I want you to take that and memorize it. And they did in the form of a song. That's one reason why we uh, teach our kids scripture songs, because we want them to remember the words of the Bible. That's why it's so important that we have the words of God. We mix and match and adjust and subtract and add. At some point, what do we even have? We've got to have the words of God. Now, I want you to go to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. We've seen Joseph, uh, Job's doctrine, Moses' doctrine. Now, let's see Jesus' doctrine. But I, I want you to notice something about this doctrine. John chapter 7, look at verse 16. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine. Well, if anybody should be able to have teaching, it should be Jesus. Remember? He, he taught them out of the law in Mark chapter 1. Okay, well, watch what he says. My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. He's a great example, isn't he, of, of Proverbs chapter 1. He said, I was my father's son. He gave me doctrine. Now I'm giving it to you. There's a principle here for believers. Sometimes we think there's, there's this religious... Nicolaitanism that comes in. That, that, that is the, the, the clergy over the laity, the pulpit over the pew. The pastor, he really knows the Bible. Or sometimes you'll hear people say, you know what I got out of the Bible? I'm going to show you something. As if it belongs to them. Jesus said, my doctrine, what I teach, is not mine. I was given it. You see, there's a sense in which the Holy Spirit teaches us but I think we need to remember, we've been given a great gift, and it's our responsibility to give that gift to someone else. I've seen it in churches sometimes where you'll, you'll kind of have guys standing around, well, you know, I, I'll tell you, I, I've got certain notches on my gun. Listen, I would, Paul said to the church there in, in Philippi, I would that you all speak the same thing. Not robotic. But if every believer has the Holy Spirit in him or her, we ought to be saying the same thing about the Bible. You know one reason why it's difficult to pass the Bible on? Because we don't even know what it's talking about. We have our Christianity is built on vague feelings and impulses. There's no way that you can pass that on to somebody. The, the, the great man myth in Christianity is going away. Why? There is no great man other than the man, Christ Jesus. You say, well, I really want to be like that Christian. Anything good in that Christian that you admire came from Jesus Christ. And if God didn't give you that specific skill set, he's given you something else from Jesus Christ. You know, we talk about multiplying disciples to the glory of Jesus Christ. You know what that is? It's all of us getting on the same page and saying, this is what the Bible says, the more unified we are around that, the more the Spirit of God will smile on the efforts of this church. Hey, it's important that we understand and we study. It's important. He said there must needs be heresies that they which are approved may be made manifest. Yes, it's important that we say, well, this is what it says over here and that's what it says. But when do we come to agreement? We've got to come to agreement. Not say, well, you know, brother so-and-so, he teaches that about the Bible. I don't really believe that. Well, you know what? If they're doing that somewhere other church, God bless them, let them do that. But here at one church, 
We ought not to have a bunch of different silos of people who believe a bunch of different stuff about the Bible. You know what that does? That, the Bible says, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. My own personal take on the Bible puffs me up because I know stuff that you don't know. You know, the truth of the matter is, you know stuff that I don't know. So which one of us is more important? Well, I have the microphone. So you need to shut up and just listen to me. Guys, listen, you ought to be able to hold the book on me. You should be doing that. You should be thinking about it. You know, the best way to hold the book on, on someone is by teaching them. Because as soon as you start teaching it, you realize, ah, I'm an idiot, I don't know what I'm talking about. And it makes you study. That's why personal discipleship is such a great vehicle, because it challenges you to say the words of God to someone else. All speak the same thing. What does that mean? Well, you better not say anything that I don't say. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, make sure that the scripture that you learn and the teaching, the doctrine that you get, when you get it, put it under this test. Does this humble me before my God and make me want to be a blessing to other believers? Or does it distance me from other believers because they can't handle the truth? They don't understand the deep doctrines. I hope to prove to you by the end of this that all of God's book is important. Yes, there are things that we understand better than others. But remember, doctrine is teaching. And Jesus said, my doctrine is not mine. If the Son of God, may I say, the Word of God, could say that, that should teach us something about doctrine. It's not a matter, well, I went to the Institute, so I'm a leg up. Well, good, study to show thyself approved. You prove that you have the ability to study. And that's not, that's not something to sneeze at. I think it's, it's a valuable thing. But may I remind you, Jesus Christ himself was humble enough to say, I'm just telling them what my father told me. Now, that, some people say, that's why I don't tell anybody anything, because I don't know nothing, and I'm not proud about the Bible. No, 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 no. God wants you to share the word. He wants you to know the word and share it, but always understand I'm just a channel. I didn't write the Bible. And no guru that you follow and think is the greatest thing since the, you know, sliced bread. No guru that you follow or I follow wrote the Bible either. You see, even if people who wrote books of the Bible, the Bible says, uh, he, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, he said, some say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. And you fill in whatever favorite Bible teacher you have, or your past, present, or future. Well, what the Lord said about them, they are ministers of Christ, even as the Lord gave to every man. Someone to teach them the Bible. You know what that ought to do? Not to put us in a separate camp and say, get away from me. You don't, you know, I, I can't come nigh to you. You can't pronounce shibboleth. No. It should put us on our knees thanking God that he communicated to us through his words. And then created us a desire to share that with someone else. You know what the people at your next door neighbors need? You know the people at your workplace need? They need the words of God. They don't just need to become Baptists. They don't need to stop smoking and stop cussing. They need the words of God. That's what they need. And God gave us a book to share it with them. Jesus Christ's doctrine. What was his doctrine? Well, in a nutshell, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what he taught. That's what he shared with us. Take your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 10. He says, 
But thou, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, but thou hast fully known my doctrine. Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. You see, doctrine, people say, we need to get back to doctrine. Doctrine. Well, yeah, I agree with that. What is doctrine? It's the words of God. We need to speak the words of God. But that also comes with manner of life, purpose, faith, charity, patience. There's a whole bunch of stuff that comes with that. You see, doctrine is not just head knowledge. It's head knowledge that results in feet action. Paul's doctrine, what was it? Well, basically, it was God wants to use the church made up of Jews and Gentiles to bring glory to Jesus Christ in this time. That's what his doctrine was. Let's, uh, before we go on to some more scripture, I want to give you a little bit of history. And I want you to follow with me here. Don't fall off on me now. Stay with me because I think this will help you. It's helped me a great deal. Back in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, uh, there was a, a big move of Satan. It was what we might call liberalism or modernism. And it came, uh, some of it came from higher criticism of the Bible in Germany. And they questioned the traditional authorship and inerrancy of the Bible. So they would say, well, the Bible says that Moses wrote the books of the law, but how could he possibly have uh, written of his own death? And, you know, it's, it's mentioned there. Okay, how could he possibly have done that? Well, of course, we understand that Moses was a prophet very easily. He could have prophesied his own death. Very simple. But see, as they begin to look at it, they said, there's a lot of things that just don't add up. Uh, one of the things was they want to take the miracles and kind of demythologize it. Like we want to get all the myth out of it. And we want it to be like more naturalistic. Like, okay, I can see how this could happen. How many of you ever heard? Well, it, it wasn't the, it, it was like, it wasn't the Red Sea. It was actually the Reed Sea. And, and, and so they went across this really small, like short, shallow place. And you hear the obvious answer to that. How did Pharaoh's army dry, dr, you know, drown in 18 inches of water? Right? But, but, but they wanted to prove it. So, so people would say, well, you know, uh, there was a lot of um, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah in that area. There was a lot of sulfur. And so somebody probably put uh, a match to it and it burned up. And they're like, oh, that's the judgment of God. And you could understand that, except the, the scripture tells us that God rained brimstone from heaven. Where did the sulfur come from? It came from God, right? So these are the types of things that they were saying. Well, you can't really trust the Bible. Um, theologians would doubt the supernatural doctrines, such as the virgin birth, right? They would say, how in the world is that possible? Which is the reason, by the way, why it says in many versions in the Old Testament, uh, lo, the Lord himself shall give you a sign, a young child shall conceive, or a young woman shall conceive, and shall bear a son. Well, that's not a miracle. Young women conceive and bear children all the time. A miracle is when a virgin woman does that. And that's what scripture plainly tells us. But the theologian said, no, we got to dig into this thing and we got to make sure. Uh, because what was happening was there was these huge, I mean, one of the big punchers back in those days was Charles Darwin in the 1860s. 
And he made a huge stink. He, he was a theological student, and then he transferred over. And uh, he lost his faith, and you can read about it in his journals and his letters to his wife and so forth. And he, he was a tortured soul in many ways, but he really latched on to natural selection, evolution, and he really pushed that. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, he was all, also very influential philosophically in this time frame. So what's happening is this huge wave uh, is, is picking up, and it's a tsunami coming towards uh, Protestant Christianity, if you will, biblical Christianity on American soil and in, in England as well. They wanted to show that Jesus was just a moral teacher. He was not divine. And, and what, what started happening was, well, we un- okay, I understand how we can marry this. We can, act, okay, it, it's God wants us to help people. That's what the gospel is. We want to help the poor people, uh, the people who are hungry. Uh, we want to help build things, and we really want to get behind. And some of that mindset carried over into FDR's New Deal, this idea of let's work out. We can't just say it. we got to do something. And so these things started picking up steam. But the problem is they were eroding in the minds and hearts of people, eroding the veracity of the Bible. So in response, there were a couple of millionaires, brothers named Milton and Lyman Stewart. And they'd made a lot of money in oil and so forth. And they decided they were going to commission a series of essays. And it was 90 essays by 60 different contributors and they put it together in 12, a 12-volume 12 set. And that set was called The Fundamentals. And they focused on five different doctrines. Five doctrines. Here they are. The Bible is the Word of God, the inerrancy of Scripture. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Christ's death is the only atonement for sin. The blood atonement. Christ's literal resurrection, his bodily resurrection from the dead, number four. And then number five, the historical reality of Christ's miracles. And 60 different guys would write all different kinds of essays. I mean, you had people uh, writing like R.A. Torrey. He was one of the editors. And you had Charles Spurgeon, G. Campbell Morgan, C.I. Schofield wrote in as well. And they're available today. You can find, look up the fundamentals. And uh, they did a, a really helpful thing. This is around 1910 to 1915. And so when you hear a church being called a fundamentalist church, that is what it's referring to. It's referring to the fact that we believe these fundamental things about the Bible. Having said that, the fundamentals is a mixed blessing. I don't think it did anything wrong. I don't think it hurt anything. I think they were standing for truth, and, and many of them uh, were, were largely influential. And by the way, all of those things are true. The resurrection of Christ, the virgin birth, the miracles, uh, the, 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 the blood atonement of Christ for salvation, all that's true. But here's the difficulty. The difficulty was we began to think about the Bible as a series of external doctrines that we believe. What's wrong with that? Well, then people begin to think, well, there, there are some really important doctrines. Okay, so now we're going to find the really important doctrines. Over time, fundamentalism became basically a mouthpiece for those five doctrines, and many churches were built but large swaths of Scripture let, were left unnoticed and unpreached. Why? Well, I don't know what's going on in, in that book, because we need to get back to the fundamentals, amen. 
The fundamentals were true. But why were they true? Because they came out of the Bible. That's why they were true. And the danger, the bad side of the fundamentals, was that someone, namely R.A. Torrey and Dixon, his cohort, good men who loved the Lord, they were commissioned to decide which of these doctrines must we stand on. We're talking about 90 essays, five volume set, five subjects. And those are very important subjects. I mean, you could keep writing hundreds of volumes on what's true. But the point of the matter is, God already wrote for us what's important. Here it is. You know what's interesting? People would rather read books about the Bible than read the Bible itself. I saw a comic strip one time, a cartoon, uh, a line that said, heaven. And then another line that said, people talking about heaven. There was a huge line in the, in the one for people talking about heaven. And the line for heaven, there was nobody in it. That's what we do as humans. When you interact with the words of God, you're interacting with God himself. And it's not easy always. Because, you know, it, it's like you, you ever sit down in, or get in a ho- uh, uh, an elevator uh, with someone that you don't know or sit down in a waiting room with someone and it's obvious that they're in a different line of work. You have no idea what to talk about. And you're like... Hey, we've been having a lot of weather recently, haven't we? You know, you don't know what to talk about. That's why you feel awkward when you sit down with God. Because you're really different from God. And so it may take a while to lock into it. Well, that's why I read Chicken Soup for the Soul, because it really hits me right where I am. Well, thank God for it. But if that Chicken Soup for the Soul isn't leading you towards the book, how do you know it's true? I just listened to this podcast. The guy breaks it down. Good. What does he break down? If he's not breaking down the Bible, how do you know if it's true? He may be awesome, but is he telling you the truth? And why would you listen to a podcast about the Bible and not read the Bible? Now, understand, we need help. I have a podcast, and I try to help break things down, and I try to learn from Brother George, Brother George Antonios. It's a great time. We enjoy it together. If you're interested, it's called Wits End. That should give you a clue. But the, but the point I'm making here is that the Word of God is the foundation. It's all we have. Doctrine is teaching. Well, which part of the Bible? And I would just say this. These doctrines that they came up with in the fundamentals, they were true, but the danger was we began to look external at the Bible as there are important things that we have externally to the Bible. I can understand the Bible, but I can understand these five things. In discipleship here, we have 18 lessons, and we do this. We collate them. This is something that's been going on for years. Uh, really, uh, a thousand years before Columbus discovered America, there was the Apostles' Creed. What is it? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, speaking of the universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You guess what? I believe that too. But you know why I believe it? Because it's in here. I'm not believing it because our church believes it. Who cares what any church believes? It doesn't matter what a church believes. 
although I will say on the flip side, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. God used the church to preserve scripture throughout time. However, however, how do I know that God used the church to preserve scripture? How do I know that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth? Because it says it in here. Everything I know about God, I got from the Bible. Everything. The danger is, if you codify the fundamentals, then you lose the context of the fundamentals. You see, you, you got to let it stay here in the soil. You can't yank it out. The words of God are designed to be together. If you split it up and say, well, I just like this verse, be careful of that. You can be deceived. Now, let's look at several verses. I want you to go to 2 Timothy. I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 30. He said this, all scripture is given, 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Okay, notice here. How much scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable? All of it. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure. Every word of God is pure. Now, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Brother Alter uses the phrase, I think it's a good one, that repetition is God's volume control. Repetition. Yes, there is such a thing as certain things God wants you to know. So when you look at the Bible, it's not so important that you know that the church doesn't replace Israel necessarily until you know that Jesus died for your sins. And that he was risen again, and if you trust him, you can go to heaven. I mean, personally, that's really important to me. Moses' doctrine, Job's doctrine, okay, all those things are important because they're in Scripture. But there are some things that are more important to me individually. But this book is not my book, it's God's book. So I don't get to decide which ones are more important because I like this verse. You follow what I'm saying? The reason why I'm hammering this is because all doctrine is, is teaching. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. All scripture is teaching something. It's teaching something. You may not know what all, I don't know what it's all teaching, but I know it's all teaching something. Look, if you would, at Matthew chapter 5. He says in verse 17, Jesus speaking, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For, I, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot, that's a yod, uh, it's a, a, a smallest Hebrew letter, or one tittle shall, in, that's a little piece, like an apostrophe, uh, shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. How, what part of the law do you think God's interested in? All of it. All of it. Now, he does say in verse 19, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Do you see here uh, this idea of least the least commandment, that does not mean it's unimportant. 
He's saying it's a small commandment, just like a jot and tittle. It's small. Not that it's not important, but it's just a very small thing. In other words, it's something that's pretty simple to do. It's very easy. Even the least commandment, God says, I want it kept. And if anybody says you don't have to keep the least commandment, you're going to be in trouble in the kingdom of heaven. It's not talking about our salvation. He's talking about physical rewards in a physical kingdom on this earth. But I wanted you to see here that all of it is important. Now let's take our Bibles to Luke, back one, uh, I'm sorry, forward, forward. Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 24. Luke 24, look at the end. After Christ's resurrection, Christ's resurrection, he says in, in verse 25, he's been speaking to these men on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24, 25, then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all things, uh, I'm sorry, expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He said, you are fools, you're lazy, you should believe what the prophets said. All the prophets said it. And now because you don't understand it, I'm going to have a Bible study with you and I'm going to teach you in Scripture all the things. Now I will say this. What were they saying? They were prophesying of the grace that should come. They were prophesying of the grace that should come. It was not about themselves. It was not even for them at that time. They were saying, Jesus is coming. Remember, Jesus, the Bible says, the law came by, was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We understand the grace of God was certainly evident in the Old Testament. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But what was the distinction? The distinction was, Jesus Christ came and said, the law is fulfilled in me. You don't have to keep this law or offer this sacrifice. I am the fulfillment of the law. So there was a distinction, and all the prophets were pointing, hey, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming. But Jesus knew the Bible a lot better than we do. He knew it really well. But he didn't even hold court. Notice what he called them. He didn't say, oh, bless your hearts. He said, fools. These are people, by the way, who love Jesus, who are talking about Jesus, who are sorry that Jesus died, and yet he calls them fools. Why? He says, the prophets all spoke about it. You see, guys, the reason why we don't know the Bible is because we think we do. That's the problem. I'm not saying you can't know the Bible. I'm saying your lid, your lid is too tight. You think, well, this is what they told me, and I respect that guy, and I respect what he said, and I read this book. Okay, great. What was their foundation? It was this book. You know what that means? You could go beyond what your teacher taught you. Isn't that what David said? I was wiser than my teachers because I understood thy law. You can go beyond. Why? It's not a matter of winning. It's not who's better. It's, that's fleshly Gentile stuff. It's not the, the guy that's in charge, the guru. No, it's the spirit of God in me who resonates with me as I read the words that he authored. And I learn and I grow to, and I come to love him, my God, more. It helps me. And then I help someone else. He said, fools are slow of heart. I want you to go back to Matthew 22. I want you to see how Jesus taught the Bible. Matthew 22. Matthew 22. 
You know, Jesus had a way of, of getting in the face of people who prided themselves on being godly. And he's talking here to the Sadducees. He often criticized and called out the Pharisees, but here he actually calls out the Sadducees. And look what he says in the verse number 31. He says, but as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken to you by God saying, now what is he doing? He is going to prove the doctrine of the resurrection. Why? The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. And Jesus is going to prove, in verse 23 it says, they say there is no resurrection. So he's going to prove that there is a resurrection. And he's going to do it with the words of God. And he's going to use a verse that you and I would never think of. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You know that there's no outline of the doctrine of the resurrection in Genesis or Exodus. Jesus found it. Why? He found, Jesus found it in one word. Do you see it? He said, verse number 32, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, as he's reading that, it's not just reading what it says, it's understanding who God is by what God said about himself. He's understanding the character of God. So he's saying, if God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then they're not dead. I am. Isn't that amazing? You know, no rabbi found that. And they found everything they thought. Nobody understood that. Here's people that are doubting, and they would be the liberals. They would be the modernists of their day. They don't even believe in resurrection. And Jesus didn't say, well, let me take you to Lee Strobel's case for Christ and prove to you from logic. Hey, there's a place for that, and I thank God for the work that Brother Strobel's done. But you know what Jesus did? Jesus took him back to the Bible. You have everything you need in this book to know God and to help others come to know him. You just don't know it good enough yet. When you learn it, you'll be able to take it. Don't give up on it. I'm not saying don't listen to podcasts. Certainly listen to mine. Don't, don't, I'm not saying don't listen to you know, TV preachers and they're all wicked and horrible. I'm just saying at some point, you got to recognize they ain't got no ground to stand on but this book. And you can come back to it with confidence. There's no one that knows anything about this book that you can't know if you'll yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. And if you'll come to it with the right heart, if you're coming to it to be better than everybody else and to prove how much you know the book, forget it. Do us a favor, stop. Although I will say, it's, it's, maybe that's a good phase. Like at least you get through that phase. It's good for you to have an opinion about the Bible. But at some point, it ought to put you on your face before God to say, I am not worthy to even have this book. But thank you for giving it to me. You'll begin to value it even more. There's no doctrine of the resurrection that we would say taught in Genesis, Exodus. But to the Lord, he actually said, have you not read? It was clear in the passage that the doctrine of resurrection is taught. You know what the Lord might say? And I fear, I fear when I stand before the Lord that he's going to say with a little twinkle in his eye, didn't you read where I said? And I'm going to go, idiot. I did read it, but I wasn't yielded to your spirit as I read it. I had to get it done because I have to get to my phone. Right? 
Hey, listen, we, our distractions just clog up our calendar. We're not as busy, most of us, some are, but very few, most of us are not anywhere near as busy as we want people to think that we are. You know why? Because it's important in America to say you're busy. Oh, man, life is busy. I got my schedule's full up. Yeah, I mean, it's like, oh, that's a good person right there. Too busy. Too busy for the living word of God. You got to take time and sit down. And by the way, be careful with that phone, man. Be careful with that phone. Well, I use it. Well, I, you know what else? A lot of this stuff comes through that phone. I've never got an ad pop up in this thing. I've never had anyone text over top of it. I've never had it go off. And now I've got to take this. You know, this is my red line to the president. I can sit down and I can open this thing and God can speak to me. And boy, when he does, something, something's different. I feel something stirring in my heart. It's the spirit of God. All scripture is doctrine. The Bible is like no other book. Because it was breathed out by God, not breathed on by God, breathed out by God. And it takes the spirit of God to discern it. Let me ask you this question, Christian. Are you locked into the Bible? Well, I know if you're like me, I know, yeah, I know. Read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. Good. Do you do it? Do you read it? Well, I tried, and I don't get anything out of it. Young people say that all the time. I don't get anything out of it. You know, see, when we're younger, we, we, we realize, man, we think that you put money in and it comes out. As you get older, you realize sometimes you have to invest for a while before you get something that matters, something that's really good. You know, if the Lord wanted to speak to you, how would he do it? In his book. You know what you ought to do? You ought to be hanging around the well. You ought to be around that pool in case Jesus decides to get down into it and stir the waters. You ought to be close enough to where you can be touched by God. Hey, listen, if you're a busy mom, you've got all kinds of stuff to do. You may not be able to have three hours where you sit down and say, I want serenity now. Everybody out. Right. You may not have the time to have, you know, your you and God time for a half a day. Okay. But you got time to look at your phone. You got time to. To go shopping, hang out. Right? Guys, I mean, we're busy. We're working hard. We're out there getting it done. Right? But we do what we want to do. Because if I don't, I'm going to burst. Something's going to break. If I don't have some time, yeah, we do what we want to do. Hey, listen, Christian, we need to focus our hearts back on the doctrine. What is the doctrine? It's the teaching. How, How much of it is teaching? Well, hey, there's not only five. There's a whole lot more. And if all the books... Should, would be written that should be. The world itself could not contain. But somehow or other, he did. He contained it in the very words of God that we have. Let's bow our heads in prayer.